Amen. So last week, um, I, I said I wanted to do, not last week, a couple of weeks ago, I said I wanted to do a little series um, on the God's master plan. Uh, and this has been tremendous. I, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself, so you're either being blessed or suffering, but either way, I'm being blessed um, through the study of it because our, seeing God's ultimate plan is, is, I think, really important in terms of changing the way that we see our whole faith, actually, uh, and the way that we see God at work uh, in, in the Bible. Um, and last time I preached, I talked about the concept that God is, first and foremost, a father um, whose ultimate goal is to create a family of sons uh, and daughters. When I use the phrase sons this morning, I'm just using the, the generic term. Uh, it applies to, to women as well, obviously. And God's ultimate purpose is to create uh, a family of sons uh, that love him and are like him and share his life and share his goal and his purposes. And uh, as we saw that, you know, we, we recognise that we made a mistake, we made a mess, uh, and it was a detour, but ultimately it wasn't the, uh, the end, the cross, uh, what God did on the cross for us was not the end goal. His ultimate goal is to create an army of, uh, sorry, not an army, a family of sons that love him. Okay, that's the purpose. And we often think about sonship and we talk about um, uh, becoming a son or a daughter of God and that's wonderful but often I think what I'm seeing is that there is, uh, there is so much more to that and that's what we're trying to explore over these next few weeks uh, and we recognise that we, we talked last week about uh, God the Father who's got a desire and a plan and, and today we're going to talk about what it means to become a son and next time I speak which will be in a few weeks time it will be on uh, what it means to inherit the promises of God to be an heir yeah, uh, and also then uh, we will ultimately get to the point where we believe that God wants his sons to reign with him, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Uh, and we've been looking at, or we looked last week at Ephesians, um, and so that's where uh, we're going to continue today, and we're going to explore this theme of what does it mean to become a son? What does it mean to become a son? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is that uh, there are two families in God's kingdom, right, or, or in God's creation. There are ultimately two families, right? Uh, there's lots of the cross family here, okay, and there sometimes can be quite a number of the church family here, but those are not the two ultimate families that God had created and intended. There are two families, uh, and the two families are uh, Adam, uh, which is the natural family, the family that each of us are born into, the whole human race is part of Adam's family. And often you hear the Bible talking about Adam, who was the father of our kind. We all eventually, if we take it all the way back, we are all ultimately come from Adam. Uh, and the other family is Christ. And so what we're going to look first of all is, well, what does it mean? Now, if you are a member of the Cross family, you share the DNA of crosses. Uh, and unfortunately, as Bex is unfortunately discovering, that part of that is accepting that you have a big nose. And my children, when my wife had our children, she prayed, uh, she prayed, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't get the cross nose. That was what she prayed, that they wouldn't inherit that DNA. Um, but if you are part of Adam's family, you are, unfortunately, uh, you will have the traits, the DNA of Adam's family. Yeah? Are you with me at this point? Okay, so let's look then at our first passage of Scripture, which is Ephesians 
chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, because we will see in this passage the DNA of Adam's family. It says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of, this, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." So what we're going to see is the, uh, there are four uh, DNA traits that uh, come from being in Adam. And the first is this, uh, we see it in verse 1, and you were dead. One of the problems with being part of Adam's family is that you have a death sentence. Right? Each one of us has a death sentence. Right? Sorry to be a bit grim there, Debbie, yeah? But sooner or later, our time will come. Every single one of us. There's nobody in the history of mankind bar one that has ever escaped the DNA of death. And it's important that we understand that this morning, that that is right, the nature of being an Adam, is that we will die. The second is this, is that we are in bondage to sin. It says here, uh, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were bound up. The Bible talks in other places that you could not get out of your sin. You could not stop sinning. Even if you tried, you could not stop. You might be able to curb it, control it, maybe kind of manage it, but sooner or later, sin just keeps coming back. And we find ourselves, Adam, uh, that's why the world, when we look at the world, I'm, re I'm, listening, I'm reading a really good book. When I say I'm reading, I'm listening to a really good book at the moment. Uh, it's, it's basically called... Uh, um, this shows I'm a bit sad, right? It's called Prisoners of Geography, right? Ten maps that explain the ge geopolitical nature of the world, right? John, John's listened to it. Uh, John's read that book. Have you, John? Uh, John's enjoyed that book. Uh, maybe not. Um, and what it shows you is that it's a story, basically, of the, the world and how each different region, essentially, has is, is done things. But what you realise is over and over and over again is that men make the same mistakes, Right? That basically power, greed, corruption, uh, uh, lust for pleasure, all that just ruins the world over and over again. It can't help it. And, and this kind of tells the story of how the maps have essentially changed, how you know, kingdoms have risen and fallen. And what you see over and over again is that men basically make a mess of it. And they just, and, and they just kill. And, and there's so much destruction in the world. We are absolutely bound into our sin. That is the nature of being an Adam. That's the second thing we see. The third thing that we see in this passage is that being a son of Adam means that you are uh, a son of disobedience. God created a law, whether it's the moral law, the Ten Commandments, uh, um, all the, the stuff in Leviticus was, uh, and, and throughout the Old Testament, all the laws that God created were designed to somehow curb our excesses, but we couldn't even follow those laws. We were bound to the law and we failed it again and again. This is what it means to be a son of Adam. Um, and lastly, uh, we see in this passage um, that we, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of our body and mind. Being an Adam means that you cannot control the desires of your flesh. What motivates you is your flesh. So if it feels good, I will do it. And so the people that are in Adam ultimately can't control that, really. Right? They are essentially gift, uh, governed by the desire for self and for pleasure and for power and all these things. Uh, and that is Adam's DNA. If you are a son of Adam, that's what you'll find. You're, you're ultimately going to die, you're going to be bondage to sin, you're going to be a slave to your desires, and you're going to find yourself constantly breaking the laws that God has laid down. But there's a very, little, there's a very important little phrase in this passage in verse 4. What is it? Oh, sorry. Let me. I got ahead of myself. But God, right, is where we're going to get to, right? Okay. But God, right? But God. You see, we see here, don't we, that we are children of wrath, right? We are children of Adam, right? And being a child of Adam means that we're a child of wrath. But God, God, in being rich in mercy because of His great love. Why has He got great love? Because He's a Father. His heart is a father heart. He loves his children. And he wasn't prepared to just let his children die, remain in sin, be subject to the lust of their flesh, continue to break the law. That was not acceptable for God. He, his great love would not allow him. You remember what we, we talked about? His ultimate purpose is to create a new family. He, his ultimate purpose was to create a new family. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Are you someone that when you look at this list of things, you say to yourself, yes, do you know what? I still struggle with not just living for myself. Yeah, if I'm honest, I'm still struggling with sin over and over again. I'm struggling to really find freedom. Am I constantly sensing, yeah, do you know what? My life's got a time clock on it. And I'm not sure what to do about it. Because... That's what it means to be a son of Adam. But God's ultimate plan is to make lots of sons. So this morning what I want to do is what does it mean then to move from being a son of Adam, all right, a son of one family, into the son of a new family? Uh, and so uh, what we know first of all is that that's where the cross comes in. And we're going to talk in much more depth about the cross this morning. Um, but what God wants to take us from Adam's sinful family and into Jesus, into God's new family with Jesus who is the head of that family. And so what is the DNA? What are the traits then of being part of God's family, being a son of Jesus, being a son of the Father? Well, first of all, we see, let's read Romans chapter 6, shall we? Uh, we're going to just look, these are the two passages we're just going to uh, flick between this morning. So Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 6 to 14. Sorry if it's a bit Bible study this morning, um, but it will get good at the end, right? Okay, that's my, well, I hope it will anyway, yeah? But I think it's important to lay the foundations biblically for what we're talking about, right? So, Romans chapter 6, verses, um, uh, actually, yeah, sorry, it's verse 5 to 14. Uh, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, oh sorry, let, let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So we just talked, didn't we, about the family traits of being part of Adam's family. Death, sin, uh, being uh, under the law, uh, being uh, enslaved to the passions of our flesh. So what are then the characteristics, the DNA of being part of Christ's family? What does it mean to be a son? Well, first of all, we see, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised to the dead, we will never die again. So instead of death, a son of God is promised life. Not death, life. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is this. right? So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Further down it says instruments for righteousness. Instead of sin being what you are bound to, you become bound to righteousness. You become, it says somewhere else, we're a slave to righteousness. We can't help but do what's right. So in your workplace, when you are part of God's family, when you see something wrong that's going on, your inclination, your desire, your urge is to do that which is right and honourable, not that which is sinful. This is the DNA of being part of Christ's family. So we're not a slave number two. Number three, uh, we see right at the bottom here. Uh, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So instead of law, we are now under grace. That is the characteristic. We don't have to live anymore trying to make sure that we have got all the, 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 the boxes ticked, every single little one. We live under the grace that God has covered all of our sin. Isn't that amazing? The law of grace and love. These are the characteristics, the DNA traits of being part a son of Christ or or son of the Father uh, where Christ is the head. And lastly, number four, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So we are not any longer subject to the lust of the flesh. We are ruled instead by the Holy Spirit. So instead of having uh, being governed by the flesh, we're now governed by the Spirit. We have a new spirit within us. We have a new heart within us. We have a new spirit in this. This is, I know this is kind of fundamental, but it's great to see it, isn't it, in the scriptures? It's great to see it out loud. For me, maybe I'm a bit sad, but I quite enjoy seeing these things in the scriptures. Right? These are the characteristics. So we have the four characteristics on one hand, right, of Adam, and we have the four characteristics of Christ's family on another. Um, And let's just, where am I going to get to? Right, so here... So what we have is we have in Adam, we have death, sin, law and flesh. In Christ, we have life, righteousness, grace and spirit. So the question is, well, how do you then move from Adam's family, which you are naturally a son. Everyone is born a son of Adam. How do we become then a son of Christ? How do we get his DNA? How do we get what is all in Christ? How do we get life, righteousness, grace and the Holy Spirit? How do we get those things? Well... There's a phrase that the Bible uses called being grafted in. Is anyone, anyone a gardener here? I'm not a gardener, right? Has anyone ever grafted in a tree? Anyone ever done that? No? No? Well, it's an interesting process. The Bible, Paul talks about wild olives being grafted in. So what happens is, right, 
and I watched a lot of videos on YouTube to show me how this works, right? But what happens is, is that apparently, right, there are certain, after a tree has grown after a while, it becomes disease resistant. Okay, it becomes, so I've just planted a couple of new trees in my garden, right? My father-in-law has bought me an apple tree uh, and a plum tree. Um, and uh, we'll see if they survive. Uh, he's he's sceptical as to whether they'll survive. Uh, but he keeps emailing me and saying, have you watered them? Um, but they are vulnerable at this point, right? Uh, new trees are vulnerable, right? They're vulnerable because... Um, uh, if the temperature goes down, they can die. If they don't, they could catch disease. They could get all kinds of things. But what happens after a tree has been around for a while, it becomes disease resistant, it becomes uh, weather resistant, it becomes strong. Uh, but one of the problems is, right, is that uh, you can get these other trees that grow up, but they don't produce any fruit. They might look pretty, but they don't produce any fruit. And so what happens is the gardeners will take uh, an olive tree, like a wild olive, and they will cut it off. They will completely cut it off from its root, the olive, and then they will do something called grafting it in, right? Where they cut a hole, right, in the tree like that, and they shape the... the uh, so they've got the wild olive, they've cut it off completely, they, they edge it down, uh, and then they break the root tree and they insert it in there and then they wrap it round with, with basically with plastic or with other things to wrap it in. Now what happens, you may think this is crazy, why on earth would they do this? Because the wild olive, when the wild olive tree is grafted into the original tree, the root tree, it starts to obtain all of the disease, uh, like freed, so it, it, it inherits the, the safety from disease. It's protected from the weather. And not only that, suddenly a, a wild olive, which never produces any fruit, starts to produce fruit. Literally, like that's why they do it. They graft them in because that's the way to produce fruit quickly, is you take wild olives and you, you graft them into a root tree and it suddenly starts to produce life. It takes on its characteristics. And so this is what... Debbie's looking at me confused, right? Okay. Um, this is what happens... This is what needs to happen, right, for us to move from Adam's family into Christ's family. The first thing that needs to happen is that we are a wild olive. We might look pretty, right? We might have the potential to be all that God wants us to be, but we are not able to be that because we just cannot produce fruit on our own. So what God has to do is he has to cut us off and then he has to graft us into Jesus Christ, into his family, and you see, the problem with this, though, is that, of course, in order to be grafted in, the old tree has to be completely cut off from its original roots. And we have to sacrifice ourselves and become part of a much bigger thing. And you can immediately see the problem right there, can't you? This is why people find it so difficult, you see, to, um, to understand and how that was accomplished. And this is a picture, really, isn't it, of the cross, which is where God accomplished the cutting off and making it possible for us to enter the new family. But you see, that the thing about the cross is that we can often think about the cross as just uh, one moment in time. It was a moment in history when God redeemed his people. Uh, and we've sung about it this morning, and it's amazing. Jesus suffered and he died, and he took all of our sin, and it was amazing. But I want to tell you something this morning, I, and I've seen this. You, the cross is not just a historical moment in time. In fact, it's actually something that's been in God's heart right from the beginning. And there are really, there is, uh, I suppose, three crosses. There is the eternal cross that's in God. We have the historic cross, which occurred on Golgotha, and then we have the ongoing inner 
cross, the inner cross within us. Now, immediately you're thinking, well, what is he chatting about now? Well, what I'm trying to communicate to you is this. Is the cross is the very nature of God. It's the very nature of who God is. And if we just simply see the cross as a moment in history, we will fail to understand the significance of the cross for us today. You see, when we look at the Trinity, what do we know about the Trinity? What does the Father... So those of you who have read Revelation chapter 4 and 5, do you know who's, like, who's, who's absent from that picture? Do you know who's absent from that story? The one that's absent from that story is God the Father. God the Father isn't mentioned particularly in Revelation. But who is mentioned? Who gets all the glory? Who is the one that is the one that gets all the adoration, all the praise? Who's the one that everyone sings about? Who do they sing about? Jesus. Because the Father's heart is to give glory and honour to his Son. And what's the Son's purpose? What does the Son live to do? The Son lives with everything in him to fulfil the will of the Father. Right? His whole life has been dedicated. That's why the cross is significant, because he's just doing what he says, Father, not my will, but your will. That's the essence of the cross. That, in its essence, is the key thing about the cross. Not my will, but your will. And it's been there from the beginning. The Holy, the Holy Spirit exists to serve the Son, to outwork his purposes. You see, the Trinity exists as this wonderful picture right, of each one not preferring themselves, but laying down their life for the other. To say, not my will, but your will. The Father says, let me give you glory, Son. The Son says, let me do your will, Father. The Spirit says, let me fulfil all that you ask me to do. It's not about me. It's not about me getting the glory. It's about you. The Fa the Jesus says of himself, doesn't he? I don't want any glory except what the Father gives me. I'm not trying to obtain glory. That's why the temptations on, on the, uh, in, the, in the desert were so significant because basically he was saying, I will not take power by myself. I will not give myself glory. I will let God give me anything that he wants to give me. And you see, this is the essence of the cross. This is the thing that's key. And the thing that's so key, it's not just about saying, oh, I believe in the cross. If we are to inherit all that God has for us, we have to start understanding the nature and the essence of the cross and start to apply it to our own lives in a deep, deep way. And I think this is, uh, this is really where I, I want to go this morning. Is this, this deep need for us to understand that the cross is so much more than just that moment once in history, which was incredibly significant. But really, it, all it was doing was reflecting what was in the Father's heart right from the beginning. You see, we see it again, don't we, when we think about Adam uh, in, uh, in the garden, in Genesis chapter 1 to 3. You see, Adam had to make a decision whether he would go through the cross. The cross was outlined really clearly when you look at it in the Garden of Eden. There were two trees, weren't there? There was the tree of life, of which basically if you ate of the tree of life you needed nothing else. And then there was the tree of the knowledge and good of between good and evil. And you see God wanted Adam to become a son, a son of his family. But you see the only way you can become a son is by exercising and realising that you have to go like God has done and live not my will but your will. And you see Adam had a choice to make. Did he eat just of the tree of life? 
See, if he ate just of the tree of life, then he was completely dependent on God. Completely dependent. He was dependent for his sustenance. He was dependent for his knowledge. So he was basically saying, I am going to, if he just ate of the tree of, uh, of life, he would not have the knowledge of good and evil. But he would have to trust that God would tell him all he needed to know. But then he had a choice. Did he basically go the way of, rather than dependence, independence? I can be my own God. I can be my own man. And you see, the way of the cross is ultimately about giving. The way of the cross is ultimately about giving. You see, what the Father says to the Son is, I will give you glory. The Son says, I will give you, Father, what you want. The Spirit says, I will give you what you need, Father and Son. Whereas what Adam did was grasped. And you see here, like there's the tree, this tree looks upwards and this tree hangs downwards. It's about me, me, me. And I don't know how you feel this morning, but if I said to you, you have to be completely dependent. I've been immensely challenged by this this week. Is, am I completely dependent on God? Am I dependent for my food on God? Or am I taking some of that control myself? Am I dependent for... Um, uh, th- this is particularly more relevant for me because I'm really considering about you know, how my job plays out. Am I dependent on God for knowledge? Am I dependent on him to know what to do? Am I completely and utterly dependent on him? Or am I basically kind of grasping for other things? Because this is where the cross is so important. Because the cross says, in order to inherit all that God wants you to do, you have to be prepared to live a life that lives giving. And trusting on God completely and utterly. And you know, are you trusting completely in God? And I have had to get down on my knees this week because God has challenged me. I'm just being dead honest. right? I realise that I am not trusting fully in God. And God needs to deal with me. And God is doing, and I'm saying, Lord, I want to come to this place where I am utterly and totally dependent on you. Where I am dependent on you for everything. Everything. You know, over recent years, we, we've, we, the cross has become very popular. Very popular, the cross. There's lots and lots of songs about the cross, right? And, and great, it's, isn't it wonderful that we sing about the cross? But I wonder if people really understand the true nature of the cross, the true principle behind the cross. You see, the cross is not a gateway to selfish attainment. If I, because I've heard it, Lord, I, I love the cross because the cross means I'm this, the cross gives me that, the cross does this for me and does that for me, all of which is utterly true, by the way. But you know, people come and they say, why am I uh, struggling to be all that God wants me to do? Why am I struggling to really be free from sin? Why am I struggling to uh, really have joy in my heart? Why am I struggling to do the things that should be so basic for a Christian? Because I think people want to use the cross rather than die on the cross. I think people want to use the cross rather than die on the cross. And I'm going to say that for the third time because I think it's so important. People want to use the cross, but they don't want to die on the cross. But the very nature, the very essence of God is that the only way you really inherit all that God has for you is to come and die on the cross. 
And I know we've heard this so many times before, but people often talk about, Lord, I thank you for what you've got for me. I'm possessing all of my promises. I'm inheriting or obtaining my inheritance. And as we come on, and we're going to talk next week about inheritance and about reigning, I bet everyone's loving that. Everyone's loving the idea that we're going to inherit everything from God and we're going to reign with God. But what I really want to communicate you to, to you this morning is it comes back to our first picture. If I can click all the way back, uh, if it's going to get there, right? <clears throat> we want to get to this bit and this bit, but the only way to get there is to come through the cross. Not to use the cross, but to die on the cross. That is essentially the gateway. Everything comes from that. Everything builds on that part of coming before God and saying, God, I'm completely and utterly before you. And we see it in Adam, we see it in the Trinity, we see it in the essence, it is everything that God is. And I know I'm not explaining myself very well this morning, but I just, I've just seen it again so clearly. We want to use the cross, but will we die on the cross? Will we be completely dependent or are we still trying to obtain some independence? Because let's see the outworking of the cross in Romans chapter 6. You see, we know that our old self was crucified, our old Adam was crucified on the cross. Now if we've died with Christ, we're going to live with him, amen. We love all that, don't we? That's, it's absolutely true and we love it. But let's look what else this passage has to say. It says, for the death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. To God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Do not present your members as, of, to, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments, as righteousness. You see, this is what the cross ultimately is. It says, you, you have been redeemed and saved to live for God, to God. Everything that you are is to be for him. That's what it means to be a son of God. If you are becoming a son of God, if you are to inherit all the promises, if you are to reign with him, it comes not from a sense of obtaining what I can from the cross, but dying to yourself and saying, God, I will live to you, to you, to you. And so that's my challenge to us this morning. Are we willing to be completely cut off? Are we really willing to be completely cut off? Are we really willing to be completely dependent on God? And this was the thing that got me. Am I really willing to live completely unto God? Everything I do, everything I am, all of my ambitions, all of my purposes, all of my aims, everything to God. Because that is the cross. You see, we talked about the eternal cross, the historic cross, but the cross has to be lived out in us every day. And I, I want to challenge us this morning. If he comes to his saviour, will you accept his salvation? If he comes to you as leader, will you welcome his leadership? If he comes to you as provider, will you welcome his provision? If he comes to you as counsellor, will you welcome his counsel? If he comes to you as protector, 
will you welcome his protection? If he comes to you as authority, will you welcome his authority? If he comes to you as king, will you welcome his rule? And I'll, I'll be honest, I've been completely and utterly challenged by this this week. Um, I know many of you have heard this so many times before. It's nothing new, it's nothing dynamic, but I see that if we are going to go and talk on about the inheritance that we have in, as a son of God and what it means to reign with him as a son of God, we have to start by not skipping out this most important step, is that sons of Christ live out the eternal cross inside them every single day. That's how, that's what it means to be a son. Everything flows from the inner cross. We can't just say, oh great, I thank you, I'm going to try and take everything that God, Jesus did on the cross and not apply it within. We can't be free from this and free from that unless we've really died to ourselves on the cross. And so let's just um, pray to finish.